Welcome back to the Gooch, ladies and gentlemen. This is Friday. Happy Friday. Happy Friday, guys. Happy 23rd episode. I got a little treat for you this week. Uh, We've got uh, Amarjeet Sohi, uh, mayoral candidate for Edmonton, former minister of natural resources. Yeah. And uh, all around great guy so far. Welcome aboard, (laughs) Amarjeet. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really actually liking the... uh, the setting that uh, the the way you have got it got it going. Nice. So Try and make it that's comfortable. yeah, making it comfortable and <laughs> yeah. it, making it fun too. So that's good. Yeah. I mean, we like the living room conversations kind of approach, right? <laughs> that's all we're going for. That's exactly. how it goes. Yeah. Well, yeah. We don't need to have the drama in the room. The the that comes out in conversation, I guess. Mm, but sometimes. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so welcome. We're we're so excited to have you here. Um, also, former Edmonton councillor as well. You've yes. been uh, you've been around Edmonton for a long time. So I think uh, the way we've started most of the the other candidate conversations is kind of just letting you uh, introduce yourself and your platform and what what kind of made you want to run this year mm-hmm. as mayor. Yeah. So. Uh, many of your listeners would know that I served on city council from 2007 till 2015. Yep. And then 2015 to 2019, I was a member of parliament representing the community of Millwoods and Meadows. And during that time, I was also a minister of infrastructure and communities as well as natural resources. But before that, uh, I... Uh, Moved to Edmonton in 1981 as a family class immigrant. My brother, who came here in 1976, sponsored me and my parents to uh, move with him. So we we came here. That was our introduction to Canada, uh, landing nice. uh, uh, at the Edmonton International Airport on November 21st, 1981. I felt... Uh, that would be the coldest day of my life. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. But, but uh, I think I was wrong. <laughs> there were many, many cold days of oh, my yeah. life after that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, uh, I've been here since then. Edmonton is my home uh, uh, for, for 40 years. And I love this city deeply. I care for this city. And uh, this city has given me so much. Um, it's a... Uh, I find that Edmonton is a community that uh, propels people to do good things. Uh, mm-hmm. It has propelled me to do good things in my life and live up to my fullest potential. And that's why I deeply love it. And uh, that's the reason I ran for city council in 2004, which I didn't win, uh, uh, to give back, to give back to the community, to make it even a better place. Mm-hmm. So that's my okay. kind of uh, brief introduction. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's really wonderful. I mean, uh, it's, uh, it, it's good to see the passion uh, with the city, too. I mean, you've been here 40 years. You've yeah. probably seen a lot of changes uh, in the city. I know, uh, you know, I, having grown up just north of it uh, in St. Albert with uh, Adam there, you know, uh, we definitely, over the last 10 years especially, see the development and all the business coming here. Um, I, I, I kind of wanted to get into your platform a bit. Uh, I was reading it the other day and, uh, you know, I always kind of look at political speech and I I always kind of want to know what what you mean by these words, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So the the, the first thing that you're really kind of going towards is, uh, to my understanding, the homeless issue. 
Uh, I, I like we've talked about this in the uh, past podcasts with uh, Diana Steele and uh, Brian Gregg, and they both had very creative uh, ideas. Uh, I just wanted to hear uh, some of your uh, thoughts and opinions on uh, this yeah. uh, this issue. Yeah. So I have engaged with a number of Edmontonians before deciding to run to figure out if I was the right person to put forward my name at this time and at this pivotal moment in our Edmonton's history where we're dealing with number of intersecting issues uh, from the state of the economy, how we emerge from this COVID and what kind of new opportunities we can build for people to have a decent, well-paying, middle-class job. And if they want to start a business, that they can be successful here in the city. The kind of opportunities that I had and many other people had we want to make sure those opportunities are are available for for current generation and also into the uh, into the future. Mm-hmm. Couple that with number of other issues like homelessness, mental health, addiction, poverty, the racism that we have seen recently rise in our city, particularly toward uh, Muslim women and uh, and other racialized communities, including Indigenous and Black Canadians and mm-hmm. Edmontonians. Then the crisis of climate change, climate change that sees no boundaries. You know, there are fires in BC uh, and we here in Edmonton are uh, uh, filling our lungs with smoke because of that fire. Mm-hmm, so yeah. I think all those issues in my mind are kind of intersecting, interconnected issues. And you can, when you try to resolve one, you actually make a dent in resolving others as well. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of vision that we have put forward together. Uh, in, uh, in in and then you know communicate that with Edmontonians to uh, as a part of a campaign campaign platform. So on the issue of homelessness, I feel that uh, we don't have to invent new solutions to tackle homelessness. Okay, solutions already exist. Housing first approach, which is that you provide supportive housing. Then you provide wrapped around services based on the need of the individual. If they need mental health support, you provide that support. If they need addiction uh, support to overcome their addiction, you provide that support. So whatever support is needed is centered around the individual. Mm-hmm. So that system, that uh, housing first approach has worked. Since 2009, Edmonton has housed more than 13,000 people who were homeless before are no longer homeless. But the challenge is that more and more Edmontonians are falling into homelessness because mm-hmm. of poverty and opiate crisis, because of mental health and addiction. So what we need is better partnership with the federal government and the provincial government mm-hmm. to tap into that support system that we can better fund that plan. Uh, probably uh, I wanted to kind of ask this question later in the podcast, but, uh, you know, I, have noticed, um, y- you know, I, y- you, you, were formerly a liberal, uh, you know, that there's quite a shift left here in this city, at least just walking certain neighborhoods, you see the signs, uh, w- out of curiosity, uh, in the next federal election, the upcoming one, mm-hmm. uh, which, uh, federal party would you most like to work with? Should you become mayor? So I uh, I have deliberately tried to distance myself from a federal election because mm-hmm. if I do get elected to represent Edmontonians, 
I want to make sure that uh, I am representing all Edmontonians, regardless of their political affiliation no. yeah. and who they support at a na- provincial level or <clears throat> at a federal <clears throat> level. I think my experience has taught me to really understand how Ottawa thinks and how Ottawa works when it comes to supporting municipalities. And I want to utilize that experience to deliver on behalf of Edmontonians, particularly on social issues and on economic growth. Yeah. There's quite a bit of support available from Ottawa to tap into the, that support to spur economic growth in the city. I'll give you an example. Climate change is a national priority. It's an international, it's a global priority. And our federal government has set a target of being net zero by 2050. And in order to do that, cities must be partners. And in, in, in Edmonton region, because of our industrial capacity and the know-how, mm-hmm. we can actually help decarbonize our industries Just, because uh, of that technology and create jobs. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I see alignment of the federal government yeah. and 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 the and the and the city on one that particular issue. So you you you're taking more of an independent approach with yeah. respect to that. You know, mm-hmm. you're going to care about Edmonton regardless of the federal politics, but you're going to kind of utilize your experience to That's, make this. I have always yeah. put Edmonton first. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. And we'll continue to do that. Yeah, well, yeah, that was one sure. of the first things I noticed was just, it's a small thing, but the color of your signs not being affiliated with any of the, the federal parties, I noticed in, that early on. And I was curious, what, having spent time within one caucus, but then early on also, you were working pretty closely in your career with the NDP. So there was, I, was, I, was, I wasn't sure where you would fall. And I, uh, so it's always interesting to see that. I have never been a partisan individual anyways, right? Yeah. I ran... Uh, in 2015, because I saw the opportunity to take our local issues and work on those issues if I got elected as an MP, which I did, and we did good some good work. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to focus on better infrastructure for our city, which we delivered in the form of LRT funding, which is more sustained mm-hmm. and long-term funding now or work on expansion of the Yellowhead Freeway, which we got this, we got funding from the federal government, and also on specific issues into Millwoods uh, on flooding, which we got resolved, and the 50th Street and 82nd Avenue uh, overpass rail crossing that has been a long-term oh. irritant for the southeast part of the city, right? Yeah. You, know, you know, you go, Adam goes, you knock it, oh, you know, yeah, you nod your head, right? You've been, you, you're driven by there, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, of course, there yeah. you go, right? So... And the Fort Edmonton Park investment. So those are the reason I ran and I delivered on those. Uh, yep. But I stepped up to uh, to run as an MP because I felt that uh, uh, that I can uh, I can live up to people's expectations. I think I've done a decent job of doing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think just, you bring. A, yeah, that's all good. Um, I just I think you bring a wealth of experience and knowledge. I think it's interesting though. Coming into the like the federal election is one thing that's that's definitely people are going to be watching. But I think more curious for us here in Alberta is we don't have another provincial election for two more years. And a lot of the supports that you're looking for provincially when it comes to mental health, uh, the federal government often doesn't give directly towards municipalities. They provide funding to the province and that Mm -hmm. province then gives it out. And 
this provincial government has shown time and time again to be incredibly hostile towards any anything that is not privatized and quite frankly almost any existing national resource so i'm kind of curious in terms of how how you work through that with with a government that is very pro privatization and anti federal government funding mhm so during my time in ottawa when i was infrastructure minister i negotiated 21 bilateral agreements with every province and every territory of you know of different political stripes so i have worked with all types of governments run by all types of uh, political affiliations and uh, those 21 agreements delivered 60 billion dollars in infrastructure throughout the country creating jobs and helping grow our economy so i think i can work with uh, anyone who's willing to work with uh, with our city but i would also like to change if i get elected the way we engage with our provincial government what i would like to do broaden our advocacy city hall alone talking to the province is not going to be as effective we will be more effective if we mobilize our community if we have faith leaders business leaders community league leaders cultural organizations working with us and really making a stronger case to the province that investing in edmonton should matter to them that investing in mental health in addiction in poverty allevi- alleviation and homelessness should matter to edmonton because if we are unable to tackle those issues edmonton's economy is going to suffer if yeah. edmonton's economy is going to suffer then alberta's economy is not going to be thrive either i think that's where i would like to go build more community based advocacy. Yeah, and and I think that I I definitely think that that's something that's uh, a a a well-intentioned goal. I think the the issue that comes to mind at least in my opinion when I'm looking at Edmontonians and the the difficulties that you see here is the vast difference between the haves and the have-nots and also mm-hmm. even just mm-hmm. speaking to the experience you had in the federal position the municipalities i like it's not it's not to say that uh, or to brush past like 21 bilateral agreements is a massive <clears throat> thing but you were the giver in that position as the federal minister they were coming to you for funding this is the opposite position that you're going to be in now and the government you're asking you'd be talking to is one of the most hostile i've ever heard towards any money going out towards a social program <laughs> uh like they're they're borderline trumpian in in their approach and in terms of attacking nursing teachers the most recent scandal with then hiring out of a private uh uh hiring firm in ontario for nurses at uh, almost oh, yeah. uh almost uh a, what 80% pay bump like the the it's it's hypocrisy at its finest. Yeah. I think that there's I'm not saying that this is impossible. I'm just curious because it does seem like a quite a different position if there's a if you think there's going to be any unique challenges there. Yeah, you know this this provincial government is absolutely has made decision and continue to make a decision based on ideology instead of based on what is good common sense and what is needed. for the cities and and uh, you know the the way they're dealing with public services for example 
uh, you know, the, the way they uh, took money away from University of Alberta, uh, yeah. the best institution uh, to create jobs, to diversify our economy is disproportionately being uh, uh, impacted by those, uh, those cutbacks. The, the way they're rolling back and, uh, you know, not negotiating with public sector employees, employees who sacrificed and risk their own lives to protect Edmontonians from doctors to nurses to all healthcare professionals, bus drivers, uh, you know, uh, taxi drivers, uh, teachers, and everyone who was out there helping run our economy and run our community. And they risk their lives and their, their families' lives because they were frontline workers deserve our respect. Yeah. They deserve the kind of appreciation that we need to give to them. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate that this tension is uh, is arising. I deeply appreciate their work because, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, we had to use the healthcare during this pandemic because of our family circumstances. That the yeah. kind of compassion those nurses and doctors and the uh, people who greeted us when we had to go to the hospital, you know, it poured their heart yeah. uh, toward their patients. I had my, I had my first child at the beginning of this yeah. and I, and wait, wait, when fear was at its highest and yeah. it, the, the hospital staff was, was the best. They were yeah. phenomenal people. Yeah. So I can't and, say enough of good things, but I'm, I, and I'm, they deserve our respect. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah. I'm just, Absolutely. I'm curious, how do we bring that advocacy forward? Because I think that like, like as you're not acknowledging, none of that's gone missed on most people, but it seems to just be ignored by the provincial government. And as a municipal, as the, as the head of a municipality, as a mayor of a municipality, you would have uh, a relatively limited budget outside of any extraneous mm-hmm. funds you get from them. Would you, barring a solution coming from the province, which does seem like it would be hard, like an incredibly difficult battle to try and get extra funding, would you have any solutions in terms of working with your existing budget, specifically just your existing your your existing experience on the uh, Edmonton Police Commission and the recent calls in the last year plus now since the, the uh, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and the countless others uh, incidents to defund or rather redistribute the funding. Is there, are there other approaches that you're considering other than advocacy towards the province and federal governments? So cities resources are very limited. Yep. We fund cities through property taxes and user fees. And amount of all the taxes that Canadians pay and Edmontonians pay, only eight cents are collected and stay within local government. Rest of the money goes to the province and the federal government. So there's only limited things you can do with that oh, yeah. limited amount of money. And 80% of the vast majority of the city budget is toward uh, uh, public transit, towards uh, running uh, you know, fire services, protective services like police. Then the rest goes to community services, rec centers, and other, uh, and, and, and other areas. So we cannot do without a stronger partnership with the provincial government and the federal government. Right. That's without that partnership, we we cannot tackle the challenges we're facing. What I would like to focus on is that how we build that stronger partnership. Right. I think if community is talking to the province, then the province would listen better 
than just a city hall representative or just a mayor's office talking to the press. What mayor's office can do is facilitate and bring the people together. And I have seen, I have seen successful mayor's offices in my time in Ottawa, how they engage with the federal government when they went to see their representatives or ministers. They were there as community representatives with members of the community, with members of the business community going along with them. Right? Yeah. And I think that is powerful. That's where I would yeah. like to focus, mobilize the community, convene the people from the community and then form a united front. Well, yeah, yeah. just a That's question like to, to that. I mean, it's, it's one thing to say that you like to, to mobilize the community, but you know, most mayors I've seen in Edmonton, uh, just in the brief time I've been here, um, for example, uh, like the, the, the closure of the airport to make a eco space uh, here in Edmonton, the municipal airport. Uh, I believe you probably were, uh, you know, here when that happened. Um, it just seems to me that when, you know, the mayors all get together and the, the city all gets together, they, they sell off land that was quite usable uh, to then, you know, develop it with property that no one can afford to live on. And it's not helping the homeless issue. Uh, it's not helping the labor issue. I mean, yeah, sure, you get a few jobs when the building's getting built. Yeah. Uh, but as far as I know about the airport, they can't build anything on it because the ground is, well, <laughs> full of, uh, you know, fuel, yeah, fuel. and whatnot. <laughs> uh, but, like, what's your, what's your approach on that? I mean, it's, it's, it's all well and good to say, yeah, like, we're going to help the homeless and, we want to have a stronger community, but when I've seen, you know, businessmen literally go in to the mayor's office and cut a deal to build Rogers Place, for example, and shut down an airport that had some of the best, uh, you know, we had the best stars response for emergency accidents uh, up until that airport was shut. I mean, the, these are now lives that, you know, are usually minute by minute. You know, you're adding now they have to have stars fly from the uh, international airports. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that, that response time's not great now. Uh, I, I just see that uh, in certain occasions when uh, certain people uh, get in the mayoral positions, it, it's just kind of to line their pockets uh, rather than to help the people. And I just wanted to kind of ask, you know, what's going to be the things that you employ or do? to basically ensure that doesn't continue because like you said you want to help the, the homeless uh you want to be an independent city with the federal government's help but what's going to stop this from continuing yeah so uh there's a lot to unpack in uh, in your comments uh, i think our city has quite a bit opportunities to uh be more sustainable uh, economically and also environmentally. Mm -hmm. And we have spaces in our city that have gone undeveloped for decades. Uh, mm -hmm. And airport lands or Bradford uh, was one of them, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it was underutilized. Yes, they, there was a need for the airport and the airport served a purpose, but it also comp competed against the international airport. So we couldn't really have, afford to have two airports competing with each other. Right. So I think that was the challenge. Uh, Blatchford, uh, it was a great vision. It was a great vision to turn that community into a, into sustainable 
community to accommodate 30 30,000 Edmontonians new Edmontonians or existing mm-hmm. uh, residents to uh, live in environmentally sustainable places coming along now it took a while absolutely mm-hmm. and we need to learn from uh, what went wrong I think uh, where I would like to go is a stronger partnership between the for city administration and private sector mm-hmm. to tap into private sector expertise at the same time set the standards that Edmontonians expect mm-hmm. uh, these kind of developments to uh, uh, to deliver deliver on. So that's one point. How do we continue to grow in a sustainable way? Mm-hmm. Right, and there are a number of opportunities there. Uh, the second is accountability and transparency. There has to be transparency in the system so Edmontonians know how the decisions are being made. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third point is that I see three roles of the mayor's office. One is making sure you city, the services that citizens rely on, from public transit to policing to fire to community service, snow removal, cleaning up everything. That is a fundamental responsibility of the city council and mayor's office to make sure those services are as efficient and as effective and Edmontonians are getting the value for their taxes. Mm-hmm. So delivering that value. The second role is being a champion of the community. Selling city to each other in a way that people believe in this city, that people mm-hmm. believe in their potential, that as Edmontonians, we are capable of doing good, big things. Yeah. And the third role is external relationship <clears throat> with the province, with the regional partners, with the federal government. Mm-hmm. And I see that the role, the convening powers of the mayor's office, even though mayors may not have as many legislative authorities, but that moral authority to convene the community mm-hmm. is such a powerful thing that no other elected official have other than the mayor's office because they're representative of the entire city in a non-partisan way. I think that's, that convening power has not been properly understood or utilized. And I have seen other cities utilize that so effectively. And that's what that's what I would like to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I just, I, I'd like, I, I understand that... Uh, you know, you, you want to work better with the, the federal and provincial governments. Uh, the, the, the other side of the coin is obviously working well with business. You know, uh, that's, a, that's a big part of uh, being in, in uh, you know, the, the mayor's chair. I, I know Tristan had a really good question about, uh, you know, business we were chatting about before. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, so I have, I, I'm always curious about people's position when it comes to private business and pri- and private capital in general, but but private business specifically, I understand the value of expertise there, but I also see in the last year and a half when we see this mental health crisis reaching its peak and, and uh, addiction and suicide rates peaking and spiking uh, on a pretty regular basis throughout uh, a large portion of the world, but uh, specifically more more uh, like we've, we've seen it directly in Canada as well. And at, at the same time, those businesses are all getting subsidized. They're all getting our tax dollars. Well, the resources to provide funding for mental health is not there. Um, whenever left to their own devices, businesses always choose to line their own pockets. I, I don't think that there's a way of convincing me otherwise. And I think this last year and a half has galvanized that belief. 
when you see yeah the bezoses of the world choosing to go to mars instead of helping anybody on this planet so i guess my my question to kind of refine it uh when when you say you want to tap into private expertise i'm how do you do that without giving them more what is, what is on the table for them because they will always see or in my experience at least i've seen businesses approaches typically quid pro quo well, I would say that uh, my experience with Edmonton's business community has been different than maybe your experience and what you're describing. Okay. I see Edmonton's community such a homegrown community. People can trace back the current success to the struggles that their parents or their grandparents made setting up those businesses. Uh, I know a large number of people in the business community who started from nothing. Yep. They started from scratch. They build their businesses. Uh, and they contribute to the community in a way that you have never imagined that they would because they are such giving back so much. Uh, and I think there's a uniqueness that Edmonton's business community, in my experience, is not hierarchical community that they don't think separate from the community they think part of the community i think that is very unique and i i have seen that in other cities where business community think that they're above the community well, I think but here I, but here is different i i sense always sense that business community is so integral to the overall community that they always think, and particularly small businesses and medium-sized businesses, that despite struggling through COVID, yeah. still kept their doors open to serve. I do, I do agree that yeah. the small and medium yeah. businesses, the ones that have never really exploded, but they've managed to maintain, yeah. for the most part, those are the lifeblood of the city. Yeah. And to that extent, I mm -hmm. agree mm -hmm. that those are the ones that are giving back. But... On this, at the same token, like we've had two other uh, candidates on here, neither of whom were invited to the KV Capital uh, debates. Yeah, I was just and this ask. is a private capital debate that more or less sidesteps democracy. They, and, oh, it absolutely does. And and I it's, mean, when you don't invite every candidate, that sidesteps democracy on the onset. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and especially when we've got so much of the conservative wealthy community claiming cancel culture on a daily basis to see the wealthy conservative capital quite literally canceling people's platforms it's it's upsetting to see that well the small and business medium sized businesses i do agree with you they are lifeblood they've stayed open i'm i'm working for one right now a small <laughs> business and yeah. they're they they're they're doing everything they can to stay afloat but I don't know that the big businesses, the big moneyed interests that really pull a lot of sway at, at Town Hall are representative of those small and medium ones. And that's where my, my concern comes I, in. I'm a firm believer that every candidate should have the equal platform to share their vision with Edmontonians. And I encourage, we always encourage that whoever invites us, we have never said don't invite other candidates. No, we of course. We always say please invite other candidates, but at the end, end of the end of the day, it's the decision that uh, some of the organizations make. But yeah. in Edmonton, like yeah. vast majority of the businesses in Edmonton are small, medium-sized businesses. Yeah. And uh, and so if you can bring in more transparency into decision making, I think you can deal with some of the concerns that you are uh, are raising. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. I think 
do you have like a specific policy in mind for increasing the transparency and just just i Good question. I've, I've never actually other than you know when we talk about body cams in the police one and people have made jokes about wearing body cams into the house commons and things like that yeah. but but just how I guess my legal background makes me skeptical of things that can be coined as political speech, given the fact that the Advertising Standards Council doesn't doesn't consider that marketing and and politicians are explicitly removed from all marketing uh, uh, protections for Canadians. So I have a hard time thinking that without a hard and fast policy behind it. That it's not to say that you're not trustworthy or a believable person. I think that mm-hmm. I've read up on your backstory. You've gone through some sensational things, and I believe when you're saying it. But oh, yeah. how how does yeah. re- the rest of Edmonton yeah. and people who who know what I know and what I just explained? How do they believe you? Yeah. So I think there's a number of things we can do. One is that a lot of people don't understand, actually don't know that you can access all the reports that council debates. And the debate is public. You can actually go back and listen to city council debates uh, going back to a number of years. And all the decisions that council makes are public decisions. So you know how each council member has voted on those issues. I think we need to market that and tell Edmontonians that that information is available to them. So when they're making yeah. their decision, well, they know who supported what. Right? Yeah. So that's, that's, that used to be just journalism. Yeah, <laughs> that's, you know, that's, that's, that's died. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. You know, that now, doesn't make money. Now with the, <laughs> now with the, the, uh, uh, the declining presence of uh, local coverage, yeah. uh, it is becoming more and more difficult for average person to, uh, to understand and know what is going on at City Hall. Yeah. Uh, one mm-hmm. thing that I would like to explore if I get elected is how do we empower community-based media? Uh, people you have like a you, really good idea on that. People, folks, <laughs> folks like you who actually can spend some time at yeah. City Hall, provide their coverage, uh, and really share that information with the community. I well, think yeah. that lack of information now... Uh, the kind of information that was available to community 5, 10, 15 years ago through the local media is not available now. And yeah. that leads to distrust. That leads to the lack of transparency. People feel that they don't know what is going on. Oh, it also that. leads to the great divide between left and right we have now. It does. Because yeah, you know? yeah. uh, the, the rights got deep pockets. And they pretty much have their own marketing machine on Fox News for the states. And, you know, there's a few news places in Canada here, uh, I won't mention. Uh, but uh, the, the one thing that I, I, like, I'm quite quizzical about, I mean, you, you said that we need to move to more green ways to, you know, uh, be environmental. The, 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 the solution, I think, is nuclear power. Uh, I, I really believe that if we want to be fully electric, at least for our vehicles by 2035, uh, if we started a program that trained and uh, you know educated a bunch of physicists and you could start building these reactors now, you'd create a plethora of jobs. And as far as the waste, they've actually developed reactors that can run on spent rods. So you build one of those right beside your main reactor and you have a net zero with no radiation uh, yeah. building. Well, so, what's your opinion on that? So when I was a natural resources minister at the, at the tail end of my mandate, mandate 
we actually started working with the industry on small modular reactors mm-hmm. that can be applicable in the industrial setting in smaller communities in uh, in sites like uh, oil sand sites and uh, and all that because mm-hmm. you can create local energy i don't the know irony. if they'll be effective in a in an urban 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 setting yeah. i don't i don't think so but Oh, There's so I, I, many other things yeah. that you can do. Yeah. Like geothermal has huge potential in our province. We actually funded two demonstration projects that have been successful to show how much energy you can create by geothermal and mm-hmm. how many jobs. Actually, people who drill for oil can also drill for, you know, wa- hot water and yeah. heat from that. One of my uh, neighbors yeah. growing yeah. up had a geothermal heated house. Yeah. And uh, one of the pipes broke, and it was about a fifty thousand dollar job to get oh it fixed. My God. Yeah. Uh, so, so it, like, I, I imagine if that technology is developed more, I mean, it would become cheaper, supply yeah. and demand kind of thing. Uh, however, it's always interesting, you know. Uh, I, we've talked about big business, and this kind of plays into the environment as well. I mean, one of the largest producers of garbage next to McDonald's is Amazon with their shipping and uh, all the boxes they put in and uh, all the labor laws they frankly violate by running their business. Now, I understand Amazon's building a fulfillment center right by the airport uh, outside of Niskew there. Uh, are these the kind of businesses that you'd want to work with in Edmonton as well as small business? Or are, are there, is there going to be a divide? Are you going to be the guy that says, we're not going to let you do this anymore? Are you going to set checks and balances? Or is this kind of like the Wild West? I'm okay with either one. I just wanted to know kind well, we of... Need, we need to attract all type of businesses mm-hmm. that help us grow our economy and create jobs. Because mm-hmm. we need jobs for there's a, a large number of Edmontonians who are laid off and been laid off for 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 a long time particularly mm-hmm. a lot of women who are struggling to find work and a lot of new canadians and a lot of young people as yeah. well like high high number of unemployment rate is very uh, concerning to me in uh, in edmonton uh so we need to attract i think where i would like to focus is that we are not getting our share of the industrial growth in the capital region uh, we need to encourage that, and how we do that, we'll have to figure that out. Working with the, with city council and city administration, making sure that we are competitive in uh, in 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 that sense. Because we have the another potential. I see. You know, we're talking about economic growth. I see. Look at our post-secondary institutions. Mm-hmm. We have some of the best post-secondary institutions in the world, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there's some good research and innovation happening at them and we actually visited one of the uh, local researchers company scientists who formed uh, formed a company and yeah. they are uh, developing a vaccine for uh, for flus and uh, viruses and uh, they could be a solution uh, for for covid uh, in in the future mm-hmm. so we could actually have the potential to be a pharmaceutical manufacturing hub yeah. So those are the kind of jobs that you want to create high quality, well paying jobs into a into our city. Well, I also see a potential on the on the uh, on the hydrogen, for example. Right? There's so much jobs you can create by converting your big trucks and uh, and garbage pickers and all that to uh, to uh, to be fueled by hydrogen. Mm-hmm. And lithium is another like, tying that into green economy uh, as you electrify your 
systems you need lithium the, the only issue i have with electrifying systems is the storage of the electricity yeah. the batteries yeah. uh, a lot of the compounds that go into those uh, are mined in the third world uh, by children uh, they've done uh, vice has done several great documentaries on this yeah. on this issue uh, they're always ahead of the curve i love vice but uh you know i just to kind of put that aside i i i, I don't really want to get into that i i i, I as the guy on the right <laughs> just reading through your uh, your personal history, uh, you know, obviously uh, this this doesn't bother me at all. I think I, I just want to hear the cool life story uh, while we have you on the podcast. But you know, obviously, any guy on the right that's reading through this uh, your history on Wikipedia or anywhere is going to see that you know you were arrested as a as a terrorist in India. <laughs> uh, and you know, I, I I wanted to ask you like what what actually happened? You know, like because uh, uh, you can see like just I, I could see Mike Nichols' wheels turning on how to make that a, a, a smear campaign in some way. Oh, and I uh, I wanted mate. to get I wanted to get your two cents on what actually happened in your story there. On yeah, the, on he didn't the have to there. turn his wheels too hard. He could have just looked a couple years ago to what they did to Jag Meat for tying him to the Air India. Well, that incident. would involve him actually having to do to do something, <laughs> yeah. uh, which I haven't seen him do uh, at all. I was actually going to get a sign for this plant here, uh, and it was going to say Mike Nickel, and he was going to be my UCP plant or UCC <laughs> plant for the room. But uh, <laughs> tongue in cheek humor. I, like I said, I just wanted to kind of hear you, you, what actually happened there. I mean, yeah, yeah. So. A lot of Edmontonians are actually familiar with my life journey. And uh, I have shared that life journey at a number of platforms. Mm -hmm. And uh, I deeply believe in fairness and I deeply believe in justice. Mm -hmm. So when I was a young man uh, living here in Edmonton, I got involved in a number of organizations who were working uh, and doing some international development work in third world countries including India, who was mm -hmm. a developing country at that time, and uh, working with local farmers and farmers' organizations to uh, uh, help them organize. Uh, and so I wanted to coverage, I wanted to actually see their work being done because I was involved in a theater group here. And through theater, we were actually talking about the role of arts and culture in social justice and mm -hmm. uh, and and inequality and equity issues. Wow! And so I wanted to uh, learn more about what was happening in rural India. Yeah, and how theater was being used to uh, help farmers organize. And so I would, I saw, I packed up my stuff here <laughs> and uh, moved to India for 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 a while. Oh, well, what part uh, of India? Back, uh, like, uh, I'm originally from northern India, from okay. Punjab. And I have family there. My parents were still there at that time. And uh, and my sister and our extended family is still there. So I, I went back to see them for a bit, right, and spent some time with them. But my goal was to uh, get into central India and the state of Bihar uh, to where the struggle was pretty tense at mm -hmm. that, that time. So we started, you know, I started spending time with farmers. Uh, understanding their struggles and helping them organize. And during that time, there was uh, so much police oppression uh, on uh, against farmers that they raided the whole village Wow! Uh, in, in collaboration with some of the local landlords. Because I know just recently there was a humongous farmer strike in India as well. Mm -hmm. So this... Yeah. 
This is quite a systemic issue, I imagine. Yeah. yeah. So we were all arrested. The whole village was arrested. There wow. was 27 of us who were arrested. All They picked up every young person they could find, and they put us in, in, in prison. And they then all uh, fabricated charges of you know, these guys were here to uh, destroy the state and all that. So, they so you didn't up. even get a trial? It was No, just... we, did, we didn't get any trial for 21 months. Right? Wow. So uh, we, okay. we just kept in... Uh, in, in the in, in the prison without any charges whatsoever under branded as a uh, as, as a terrorist right so yeah. uh, and wow. but then finally uh, there was a lot of international pressure uh, on the government and local pressure on the government and they had to withdraw all the charges so it was all you know fabricated charges against uh, against me but I, uh, I I learned a lot during that time I uh, had a lot of things to reflect on about my life and uh, and what kind of life I wanted to live and actually re- really reinforced my commitment to human rights and social justice mm. and fairness and due diligence right? mm. and that every you're a lawyer right yeah, I'm not a lawyer I have a law degree but no, law degree <laughs> yeah. you know how critical law is for a well functioning democracy oh yeah right I, I benefited from that because there were lawyers fighting for my release. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There I, were I, legal I, people out there, judges and others who were fighting, saying this is injustice. Yeah. And, and that is what democracy is about, right? Democracy, different functions of our society working together to preserve that integrity of the system. Yeah. I mean, I think... Yeah. Uh, Very it, well it, said. It puts me in... It pains me probably not in the best light because my reason for opting out of the law is because I think it's genuinely not doing as good a job as it could Mm -hmm. at making the system as efficient and as effective for as many people as possible. Plus, you don't want to make less than minimum wage articling. That's true. When I I had my child. Yeah, yeah. There's no labor laws protecting articling students in the country. How ironic. I I know how you feel. We have few few young lawyers in our family, right? Yeah. So, yeah, once I had my daughter, I could, like, I'm the only income earner. I was like, I can't do that. So. But uh, but I was actually curious to actually go before like I I uh, it was really nice to hear your story from from directly from you. Um, but right before that, you were mentioning um, natural resource development, uh, tapping into resources that we have already here, existing mm-hmm. resources. And one of the ones that I'm curious about, because you were in the office and would have been directly connected, and I wrote extensively on the subject, was cannabis legalization and what mm-hmm. I consider to be a massive failure on the part of the federal government mm-hmm. to uh, continue to criminally regulate CBD so that it can nationally control hemp yep. because of hemp's diversive uh, capability to, to usurp wood paper, like wood, wood pulp paper, and still maintain plastics, those existing mills by retrofitting them, pla- yeah. single-use plastics to get out away, away from China's use and then from an international trade perspective, the ability to then create a national man, uh, mandated minimum um, for biodegradability for mm-hmm. all shipping that we could then use to force China to purchase from us. Like there's there's layers of economic prosperity built into it. And Alberta, though not the best position province, would have quite a bit of land mass to be able to grow on. Would you... But the the... the the interesting one is the the organization that you brought up was, was pharmaceutical industries who are 
quite quite literally they'd be the lobbyists who would be advocating to ensure that that uh federal regulations stay intact do you do you ever see anything like that developing through the cannabis uh realm or do you think that that is uh in the federal minds of the federal government strictly recreational well to be honest with you i um I have not had a chance to actually think about that aspect. I did meet okay. with some of the folks who are in the hemp uh, uh, business, and yep. they do have some issues that they're trying to resolve with the with the federal government in 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 a way that uh, some of the classification changes from Health Canada over to Agriculture Canada. Yeah. So you can actually grow hemp for uh, for other. Uh, uses that are not consumable in a in 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 in, 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 in from a marijuana perspective, right? So I yeah. think, like, I don't understand all the technical stuff of it, right? But uh, there has been some movement happening where people are trying to push the federal government that can this be a major source of economic growth yeah. for provinces like Alberta in the in the hemp sector. Yeah. So like Health Canada's requirement is an extraction requirement of of the active cannabinoids, the most uh, the primary one being CBD, which is basically there's two pri- there's two main cannabinoids, THC, yeah. CBD, CBD works in opposition. But the main reason why that one's interesting is because Health Canada Health Canada's position in legalization was about making sure that they're protecting Canadians yeah. from the illegal market and CBD was in the 650 page uh, pages of scientific journals placed forward. CBD was only ever mentioned positively by scientists, and yet it was maintained as a criminal regulation. And 80% of all of our medical expenses in this country go to palliative care, a good portion of which could be handled by a natural anti-inflammatory that we, we currently mandate gets thrown in the garbage for, for any he- agricultural hemp production. Mm-hmm. So I think that... I, I understand. Like this is probably not not a question for you then, because you just it's not a subject that you're you're overly well versed in. Yeah. But yeah, it's just when I hear wanting to grow through the pharmaceutical, I hear that as wanting to grasp tighter to the the people preventing other solutions from coming to the fore the forefront. Well, like I, when we look at this pandemic, regardless of the uh, the historical things and all the other things that you're raising about. Uh, uh, pharmaceutical companies, we needed a vaccine yeah. to fight this pandemic. And we were so dependent on foreign countries yeah. to have access to their vaccine. Yeah, I think we need to be self-reliant. Yeah. And Edmonton has the potential to make sure that Canada is self-reliant because have all the ingredients and the scientists and the research institutions to make that happen. So that's where my focus is going to be along with other economic growth opportunities for the region. Yeah, I, I so, like that. So in order to kind of make these vaccines, uh, usually you need a stage four um, virus containment building. Uh, the only other one I know of in Canada is in Winnipeg. I think there's one in Ontario as well. Um, there's a big theory that the coronavirus actually started out of a Wuhan lab that, you know, misplaced the virus. <laughs> uh, one of these labs that you'd want to build here to make vaccines. Well, <laughs> I, I, like I'm she, not like I don't have the technical expert, expertise in, in any way, but I think we need to be very careful when we 
point fingers. Oh, absolutely. Where, where, but, yeah. you know, where, it's, it, it's, where it's divide is source definitely of the an inherent cause, risk. Because in, that kind of thinking has led to racism and violence against yeah. uh, uh, Asian Canadians. No, like, I, I, I think we need agree. to be very, very, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I think we need to start rejecting some of the premises, right? Yeah. Uh, or assumptions being made because I, I want to focus on building an inclusive and welcoming place for everyone. Yeah. And uh, we should be making decisions and based on evidence and facts and not on assumptions because they assumptions can lead to marginalization. No, for sure. I mean, asking you about nuclear power on the onset, I mean, you know, obviously you can make a lot of assumptions off that too. The science has really evolved since Chernobyl, you know, however, when when you're dealing with, you know, viral diseases uh, and, you know, vaccines, generally you need a place that you can, you know, test them and age them. Uh, What they do is they actually inject a, you know, less lethal virus that's, uh, you know, not infectious to humans again and again and again and to generations of, you know, different animals to basically propagate the virus to evolve faster. Like it, it basically takes that uh, virus and evolves at a thousand years in time uh, the way they do that. Now, obviously, oh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a really fascinating thing. Uh, but, you know, it is I, I, I don't think the U of A has the the capability to, you know, do that. How, how would you kind of. Uh, like where do you well, we see have that? Health, uh, we have health regulatory bodies that yeah. monitor all that uh, that research, right? So that's mm-hmm. kind of federal government thing, right? But I just wanted to make sure that that your the, your comments are not leaving any. Oh no, any, that wasn't any, the intent. Any, yeah, that, that's want yeah. to make sure that your that's not your intent was because that that assumption can lead to very devastating mm-hmm. uh, implications. Well, I think all our listeners yeah, know yeah, that yeah. you know it's never the intent no, to, no, to belittle a, yeah. a group of people ever. Uh, you know, it was just more of a question of. Uh, you know, uh, how, how uh, when we have like, big businesses like Amazon coming in and doing what they're doing and we have, uh, you know, all this other stuff, uh, you know, propagating that we've kind of discussed, um, it, was, it was more of a question of is, is that the plan uh, for you to grow Edmonton is through a uh, scientific more... Um, vaccine approach that's one like i yeah, i see I, I the pharmaceutical several, yeah. is one potential i also mm-hmm. see a lot of potential for carbon capture storage and utilization to decarbonize yeah. our, our economy i see a lot of potential in uh, uh hydrogen mm-hmm. as, as i mentioned earlier i see a lot of potential in uh, lithium mm-hmm. which nice. we need uh, uh to uh, uh to build electric uh, vehicles and uh, yeah. and all the infrastructure that is necessary to that, and I see a lot of uh, uh, potential in uh, you know in when you people build when you build people's capacity. I think the biggest thing that you can do is make sure that people are ready to be successful. Mm-hmm. That people are able to build their own capacity to succeed. And human capitals. How do you build that human capital? And cities have a bigger role to build that human capital because cities provide services that touch on people's lives. Mm -hmm. Access to public transit to go find a better job. Access to public transit so you can go to university and college, right? If you can't afford a private transportation. 
access to rec centers so you can go exercise access to libraries so you can study so, access to community services that bring that cohesiveness so i think city services build people's capacity to participate so are and you we saying need to continue to provide those qualities would services. you be interested in maybe creating a uh, edmonton secular municipally controlled power grid or internet infrastructure we don't know like i i i don't want to go into too much details okay. on uh, uh, on those aspects right because uh, you know those are done decision making at local level is uh, is very democratic and no, council, I, I understand. Council, yeah. council make those uh, those decisions as a as a collective what i want to what i want to say is that cities have a bigger role to play to build people's capacity to be successful. Mm-hmm. And I'm a good example of that. Yeah. I came to this city with nothing and couldn't speak the language, didn't know Canadian way of life, culture. But here I am, you know, where I served as part of a select 30, 35 people making decision on behalf of our country. Yeah. Right? yeah. I think that ability to grow, that ability to be successful starts with local, community-based public services that touch on our lives, from education to health to uh, community services, rec center, public transit, and all that. Right. So that's one, of, and that's where the role of the municipality is so powerful. So on on that note, because I know we're coming close to our uh, time here, I wanted oh, to yeah. uh, I wanted to actually just touch on uh, one point that you brought up that Brian Gregg also had on his platform, and it's one that. Uh, Evan and Adam and I have uh, spoken off air and kind of uh, all really agreed that there's a there's a lot of ways to make this work and that's that 15 minute community mm-hmm. um, an interesting and intriguing way of reducing greenhouse emissions uh, encouraging businesses to create more stay at home work if possible um, but there's potential there's other ways of defining it so I'm curious how do you define the 15 minute community and do you have any specific policies that you were uh, you had in your mind to make yeah. that a reality yeah so we announced a couple of weeks ago our 15 minute community concept local living concept we believe that uh, uh, as we recover from this covid uh, we people would like to have a hybrid work arrangement where they go to work for a couple of days, work from home for three days or half and whatever. The, 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 the hybrid model uh, companies will be uh, kind of forced to recognize and, 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 and implement. That creates opportunities for local economic growth at neighborhood level. Yeah. So having a coffee shop in your neighborhood, having a bakery shop or a barber shop, or you know, a small bar or pub where you can go just to relax, have a beer, right? Or uh, meet meet up with friends. There are places you can walk to. Yeah. Places you can bike to or take public transit to. Shop in the local grocery store. And that's where I think it ties into environmental sustainability. It also ties into building cohesiveness yeah. see, when neighbors come together they see each other and you bring that uh, that closeness and it also helps tackle some of the systemic issues of racism and discrimination because you're bringing people together not yeah. pulling them uh, not pulling them apart by uh, by deflaming uh, by flaming some of their the, the, the differences right so I th- that's what we see as part of the uh, 
15 minute community local living local amenities and then building the infrastructure to facilitate that uh, 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 that growth in the in the neighborhood okay yeah. on that on that note on the building of infra- infrastructure i had come up with this idea a few weeks ago when we were talking to brian gregg and i wanted to i've since floated it to diana Steele, and now want to bring it to your attention as well but I was curious because we, we I think we're in agreement that the small and medium businesses being the lifeblood of Edmonton and that they've also been at the forefront uh, making sure that the that this city stays alive during this incredibly difficult time. And they've also at the same time been under attack by multinational conglomerates, the skip the dishes that take all of their uh, like a good portion of their money through fees. And yeah, they've been able to stay alive because of those those services that they provide. But they're Mm -hmm. also it's just barely they're not thriving anymore. They're just surviving. And the Amazon's doing more or less the same thing to the medium mom and pop businesses, d- discouraging people from going out more, which, again, from, from a health perspective, beneficial. But I'd be curious, would there be any in, or has there ever been any thought given to a business license fee that attaches to access to a Edmonton based skip the dishes? So that the city itself socializes that system as a recognition of the benefit that those small businesses provide the community. Take that money away from the, the skip the dishes, give it back to the community in the form of services. Uh-huh, and then tax it. And then yeah. and, well, the tax will still be better because uh, uh, you're, than, you're than not getting any money for skip the dishes. All that money is in fucking Paraguay somewhere. <laughs> yeah, sorry, but uh, but yeah, I'm just oh. curious because you can do the same thing with delivery services for Amazon. Yeah, I I haven't thought about that. Right, uh, would definitely. Well, if you get elected to, and you love, want a little love committee, to, <laughs> love to engage to see uh, uh, the explore the possibilities. Can there be a local uh, app-based system that facilitate uh, uh, affordable <laughs> way of uh, for businesses to uh, uh, to 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 make those those deliveries? I understand the challenge you're identifying because yeah. uh, you know these companies charge huge amount of money to uh, uh, to the com- uh, to the restaurants and, yeah. uh, and, and 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 small businesses at the same time not paying enough to the drivers exactly either, right? it's not that the the drivers are getting rich by uh, by working for these companies and there's a middle middle person or the company takes a big big, big yeah. Uh, yeah big cut of the pie oh, yeah. yeah and if the city were to be able to you know let's say that that pie is uh is divided up and in, in from a form of percentages and the city can you know keep 20% for itself and give 80% back to the people performing the work it would have an immediate local effect of booming the economy because those are all people in the lower well, and middle levels also, that are pinching their pennies, yeah, right? That's have, also other why cities, have other cities done similar ideas? No, no. this is why no, this I, is, it's oh, something that I came up you with. You heard it first here. So, <laughs> I, had, uh, I had actually brought up the idea of a fiat-based currency UBI system that I had read about uh, operating in South Korea in uh, one of their provinces there that they had successfully rolled out originally 100,000 people up to 1.4 million last time I looked and mm. What they did was South Korea's got it together. Well, yeah. South South Korea's got one of the high, highest or the highest automated workforce on the planet. Oh yeah. But uh, but what they found was that by creating a fiat currency, so a currency that could only be spent at local registered uh, companies, 
that those companies all grew and hired more and built and everybody in those areas thrived because people were being pulled off of welfare just by spending money that they were being given at local places and it wasn't able to be used online. So I thought, what about an app that could do more or less the same thing here, not necessarily giving money out, but oh, saving people money. That's just such a brilliant idea too, because you could tie it in with a uh, local internet. Basically, a lot of states have done this where they, they, they just got sick of dealing with AT&T probably, and they're like, <laughs> yeah. fuck it, we're going to make our own internet. And they're actually able to sell higher speed internet at a lower price to the people, and they can also subsidize it for low income. But if you combine it with this app, you could not only have food service, you could have laundromat service, you could have plumber service, you could have just everything uh, connected to your phone, which, you know, I got to say is kind of the way the future. Us millennials love shit on our phones. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's just if, if there's an app for it, we got it. You know, it's like, oh, do, do it now. It's yeah. Like, uh, I think that would be a pretty brilliant move. But uh, would that be idea. something that you'd be interested in maybe implementing? I, this is the first time I'm hearing this yeah. idea yeah. idea from you guys, right? So, uh, you know. Consider would, this the would, next would, would, <laughs> would like to learn. Would like to learn more. Yeah. yeah. Would like to yeah. learn more about it, yeah. Well, if you get elected, feel free uh, to give me a ring and I will <laughs> gladly have a conversation at any given time. I, uh, I think that you have a very strong chance given what I've seen and uh, and just given your demeanor and experience, I feel like that's a that's probably a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just have one more question yeah. before we kind of cut this off. Uh, you know, with the new gun laws that have kind of come out in uh, Canada, oh. I think everyone that's owned or owns a restricted weapon got a letter in the mail from the RCMP saying you need an ATT to take it here and here and here now. Uh, obviously, there's been a whole bunch of firearms that, you know, uh, honest, hardworking citizens that have never broken any laws of purchase that are now illegal or prohibited. Uh, a lot of that's really in control of the uh, municipal police, especially in Edmonton, where you're working hand in hand with them. Is this going to be something that you're going to be uh, working with them to uh, do, or is this going to be something that, you know, like a lot of mayors are kind of leaving it aside and saying, oh, this is this is Ottawa. This isn't us. Well, this has not come up with uh, any conversation that I had with Edmontonian so far. Mm -hmm. so, no, I uh, uh, I am focused on uh, uh, helping grow our economy, creating jobs, and uh, making sure that businesses, medium-sized, small businesses, are able to thrive. So in you're not really city, interested right? in coming so after I'm, people's guns. I have, I have, uh, <laughs> you know, I have. Uh, I have focus. I need to focus on things that uh, uh, that are what I'm hearing from Edmontonians about. Which For sure, are that's good. Economic growth, deal with social issues of homelessness, mental health, addiction, poverty, yeah. tackle climate change, right, and turn that into a into greener jobs and greener economy and deal with issues of inequities that exist in our city around racism, discrimination, and marginalization of uh, uh, indigenous communities and the trauma that they're facing and how we, how we build Edmonton that is for all of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you're kind of saying that that's not really on your radar. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, I haven't no. heard about it. Uh, Fair enough. It doesn't seem to be on most yeah. No, it's, uh, well, You're I, a unique the Edmontonians that own guns, probably. I mean, that's <laughs> that's where I ask. I mean, like, uh, in communities where it's RCMP, 
uh, policed. You know, it, it's, it's a little different. The federal government kind of has the say. I mean, we're in a little bit of a niche here because we have our own city police, and obviously the, the municipal yeah. government has a lot more authority over that, right? So that's why I was a little curious as to where you stood on that. <laughs> um, you know, it, it just uh, we're kind of running out of time here. I think we're running a little over. Yep. Uh, is there any kind of thing that you really want to achieve? Is there something that if you become mayor it has to happen like what's what's kind of your trump wall when you want to hang your hat on what you want to hang your hat on for your uh, for your election here so my metrics for success is that every edmontonian should feel pride in their city mm-hmm. every edmontonian edmontonian should say you know this is my city this is my place i belong here and Edmonton is who I am. Edmonton is part of my life. So my vision is that build a city for all Edmonton. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's, if more and more people feel that way, the more and more people, uh, the deep love that I have for the city, I want everyone to feel that deep love. But that deep love is only possible when city treats everyone equally. Mm-hmm. With dignity, yeah. with the respect. Yeah. And that's the kind of city I want to build. A city where everyone is part of it. Fantastic. That's, that sounds yeah. awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been cool. absolutely wonderful having here. Well, thanks for having and, me. Uh, yeah. We're so yeah, excited pleasure. to see how everything goes forward. And, and I think we all wish you the best in the election. And we got yeah. through this uh, without you guys pouring a second drink. There you go. Yeah, we, uh, I finished my pineapple. <laughs> I, I did have two. Yeah. <laughs> you did have two. But he's a sneaky one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's the Scottish. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Good. Thank you guys. Well, it was absolutely delightful. All right, guys. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. That was Amarjeet Sohi with us. Uh, and don't forget to check back again next week as we continue on our candidacy platforms we got kim cruchel yeah all right have a good one guys